Good morning, everyone. Uh, go ahead and open up to Titus chapter 1. That's the text that James read for us. I want to make a few points from this um, by way of kind of introducing some of my, my ideas and what I'm presenting. Uh, Titus chapter 1. I won't read uh, these verses again, though. We are going to come back to them a few times through this lesson because they are central to the idea uh, that I'm going to be talking about. I actually have been thinking about this topic for a long time. Um, for those of you that are members of this group and have been members for more than a while, particularly if you've been here from the beginning of this group, this group started gathering together um, like three-ish, three and a half years ago, something like that. I think March was three years. And so in the three years that we've been gathering together, obviously a lot has changed, a lot of growth has happened. Um, some things good, some things bad, like anything in life, right? But as we kind of reflect on this, for, for these whole three years, one area that I figured would probably be a place that a small new group might be lacking was in leadership, right? And a big part of functionally being led that God lays out is reflected in Titus chapter 1. And while I've been kind of passively thinking about this, trying to chew on it for personal reasons, and trying to think about this as this group grows and is trying to be what God wants us to be, it was brought back to my attention this week because um, I was having to think about this for uh, some writing that we did for our website. And I, I thought, well, you know, this is a good time. I've been meaning to talk about this from uh, in a sermon not because we haven't talked about it. We have. We've, talked, we've had Bible classes talking about roles in the church. We've had individual discussions that talk about the idea of this. But I wanted to give a lesson to kind of just highlight some of the basic truths in the Bible about what it is to be an elder or to be an overseer. Um, and so I wanted to talk about that this morning from first, uh, from first Titus. From Titus chapter 1. Uh, this isn't... Depending on your background, this isn't maybe a subject that is talked about a lot. Um, there's a lot of ideas out there on what exactly an elder is. And I, frankly, some of that is uh, opinion. There's some judgment that goes into how to be that in some practical ways. But then there is very clear, concrete concepts that God gives us about the role. And so I wanted to talk this morning. Uh, I kind of figured the way I'm going to do this is in two lessons. So this morning is going to be kind of the, the who and why of elders and overseers. And then the next time I speak, which will be, I think, the first week in May, I want to do the then how do we do that. Um, and uh, perhaps uh, as we think about this group and we're thinking ahead to the next time, you can see that some of the things we're going to talk about, we don't really f live up to yet. And so how do we live in light of this teaching when we can't fulfill it the way that we might want to. And so I want to talk about that next time. But this morning, I want to talk about the who and why of elders, the eldership, overseers, however you want to phrase that, um, particularly because of this text in Titus. Look in verse 5. Paul writes to Titus, Titus being kind of like a, uh, an understudy to Paul, kind of like Timothy was. Like he was a young man that Paul took around. He was full of zeal for God's word. He was a Christian. And so as Titus matured in his faith and matured in just age, as he got to a place where he could begin leading, 
Paul leaves him places. And that's what he says in verse 5. He's like, I left you in Crete. But there's a specific reason he left him there. That you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In fact, if you study the life of, or rather the ministry of Paul as he travels around, this was a really common practice. He would teach the gospel to a bunch of people. And when there were elders in that group in the gospel, like when, and this word literally means older people, um, this word specifically, um, when he found those people, he would make sure that they were set apart as older people within the group. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means as we go on. But he's telling Titus, you know, I want you to do what I did. And what Paul did was by direction of the Holy Spirit, right? So you need to do what God led me to do. And I left you in Crete so you can make that happen. But one of the, the, the phrase that caught my attention is that Paul looks at this as something that remains. It's hard to imagine Paul being content in his work because I think he was such an overachiever in a lot of ways. Like He wanted to do every single thing possible for the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, he has limitations in that, but there's passages in Scripture where Paul reveals his heart about this, and he says he's in prison, and he's saying, you know what, I just pray night and day, and I worry about the churches all the time. You know, you can just imagine he's stretching himself as thin as he can go even when he's in prison, right? Well, Paul sees that there are churches without these older people put in place, put in a position, and he says that that is something that remains for those groups. And by implication, right, we would say that he thinks that these churches are lacking that, right? They're incomplete if they haven't set into motion or set in place what remains, right? And so that's what caught my attention is when I look at our group, we're small. We've only been gathering together for three years. Like, are we in the position that if Paul were to write us a letter, would he be instructing one of us to help us put into place something that remains? Like, would God look at this group and say, there's something that is remaining that you need to be working towards? And I think the answer is yes. And I want to talk about that this morning, like how and why that's, that's true. Um, there are two primary words that reflect this, um, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say office that reflect this office. There's the one that we see in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, where he just says elders, which literally is just one older. Um, the word there, and I don't know how to say these words, so I'm just going to say it the way that I know how to say it, presbyteros or presbyteros, you might say it that way. You know, the word presbyter or presbytery comes from that word, right? But it really just means to be older, to be an elder, right? That's all it means. So there's one sense that we have kind of this general word, right? To be older. But then there's another word that appears in the New Testament that's slightly more specific. And it's a word that's episkopos or something like that. And it means uh, to be an overseer, to be one who looks after, right? And what we begin to see is when we look at these two words and how they're used through the, the New Testament, we actually see them in many instances being, uh, you can kind of switch them around. They end up being kind of the same office represented. Sometimes it's referred to as one older, sometimes it's referred to as the one that's an overseer. But there's an important distinction here. Overseers, right, the episcopos, is always an elder, is always a 
what did I say, presbyteros, is always that. Episcopos is always presbyteros. An overseer is always an elder, but an elder is not always an overseer. So that's an important kind of thing to see in Scripture, that you can be someone older and not be distinguished as someone who watches over. But if you're someone who watches over, you have to be someone who's older. So you kind of have that interesting relationship there. In religious contexts, contexts and discussions, maybe even in your own background, you've heard words like bishop, the presbytery, a presbyter, an overseer, an elder, a shepherd, a bishop. I already said bishop. The, all these words really fundamentally are talking about this office. And while uh, a word like maybe shepherd isn't inherent to this office, we see that this elder overseer is also called a shepherd in certain contexts because of the roles they perform. And so I think it's important to see that despite whatever religious context or discussions we hear these words thrown around, we need to understand that scripturally there's really one meaning for these words. And there's really one office that is described by these words. And it is this elder overseer position. In fact, overseer appears in many texts and it can also be translated bishop. So you can fairly say that an elder overseer is an elder bishop. It's the same same word. Um, so depending on your personality, you may love definitions, you may love wordplay. If you don't, this whole beginning is super boring. But I felt like it's really important to understand that what Titus is being told, he's saying you need to appoint older people, right? Because that's what remains in these churches. But then he offers a bunch of qualifications for those older people. And it's by those qualifications that we know that he's talking about overseers because other texts specifically say overseers are this. So we understand that these aren't just older people. These are elder overseers, right? So I wanted to say all that. Let's look in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Let's look in verse 19 through 23. I want to I look at this kind of elders and overseers, these two ideas here. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 19, reads, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, right, these older people for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and what they had believed. This is that word presbyteros, it's the elder person, right? They made sure to do that, like Paul informed Titus, right? Well, Paul had a history of doing this. When he goes through churches and when people become Christians, he looks at that Christian group and he says, all right, who is elder among you that can be qualified to be this overseer? These overseers, which is always plural, right? 
plural overseers. We need overseers in this group. And they made a point aside, like they preach, and it seems like the next step is we need overseers. We preach, the next step is we need overseers. And so this presbyteros, these older men, are established in every church. Uh, there's a lot to be said about this text. I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that Paul was thought dead and he just gets up and starts going around again. But in this text, he gets up and goes around again to put elders in place. And I think that just shows you the importance of the work that is being done. Paul very much believed because God had told him that this is something remaining in those places. And he had to set that up. Right. Uh, so as we understand, uh, there, there's so many te uh, texts that reflect this idea. I don't have time to go to them all, and I'm not even going to mention many of them. Um, but I also want to turn back to Titus again, Titus chapter 1, to kind of look at something here. Now that we understand at least a little bit, uh, a cursory glance at this concept of you have elders and then you have overseers. And while elders can be overseers, overseers are always elders. And it's a very specific office that Paul appoints men with, within these congregations to. Elder men are going to watch over this congregation. In Titus chapter 1, we have to ask the question, okay, who then among older people, elder people, can be an overseer? And we quickly realize it's just not anyone who's older. Uh, this is a very specific thing. Beginning in Titus 1 verse 6. Titus is supposed to put uh, what's remaining into order and appoint elders in every city, just like Paul did in Crete, if they match this. Right, Verse 6. If they're above reproach, if they're the husband of one wife, if his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, uh, for an overseer as God's steward, right? They've been appointed by God is the picture here. They must be above reproach. So if they themselves are above reproach, if they're not arrogant or quick-tempered, if they're not a drunkard, if they're not violent, if they're not greedy, if they're hospitable, if they're a lover of good, if they're self-controlled, upright, if they're holy, if they're disciplined. All right. What an exhaustive list of things. You know, there's a lot to be gathered from this. You could probably spend easily a lot, a lot of time, more than a sermon's worth of time, just dissecting like all of these qualifications and what they could mean, how you live them out, how maybe you uh, manifest them in your life from day to day. But there's a couple of things I want us to see in this. We have to say, all right, we have elders, we have overseers. Elders are sometimes overseers. Overseers are always elders, right? So who among the elders gets to be an overseer? This is a list that we can go to and say, all right, if someone is older in our group, I can put them up against this list and say, kind of like Paul did or like Titus was supposed to do, this church needs to put into place what remains. And if we don't have overseers, we need to try to do our best to put that in place. Now, and I, once, I, once we get there, we say, all right, who is older among us? And we, we see those people. And we say, all right, now that we've identified you as our elders, we need to see if you can be an overseer. Right? 
And so we say, all right, well, let's, let's look at what Paul told Titus. One thing that we learned, and I'm going to look at this in a very quick way, so I'm not going to get into all of this. Simply put in this text, it's supposed to be men. Men have wives. So men are overseers. Men with children, in fact, that believe. These men are to be respected and of godly character. And of course, I'm summarizing a lot of these qualities, right? So they have, they have one wife, they have believing children, they're godly character, they're to be respected within the church, obviously, but even it includes among the people that are not in the church, right? And their influence is not hypocritical, and they're able to teach the gospel, right? They have this character, they have these abilities, they have this home life and family. When I identify elders... Among this church, I say, all right, these are the older people. I say, okay, well, among these, here's the men. And then here's the men with families. And among the men with families, here's the ones that have children that believe. And among those that have children that believe, look at this man's character. Look at these men's character. They're respected. They're teachers. They're... And all of a sudden, I see overseers. I see the people that Paul appointed in every city, that he came back from a stoning to make a point to put in place. I see the men that Paul intentionally left Titus to, to appoint in all over the island of Crete. These are the men that this church needs. And even though we might not be there in, in logistical ways, we don't have a lot of people, we don't necessarily have a lot of older men, this is what we're looking at when God is saying to Paul and to Paul through to Titus, set in order what remains. God wants churches to have men that are not only older, but that are overseeing. But we also have to ask this question. What exactly are they overseeing? Do they get to micromanage like my shoes and my pants and my shirt? Like we're all going to have like uniforms, right? And we get to wear badges and we check in with the, that overseer every morning at 8 o'clock and we clock in and we clock. Is it that kind of overseeing like an employee-employer does he get to make my family decisions for me? Does he get to choose who I date, you know, date or who I'm interested in? Like, what is the overseeing, right? Thankfully, God hasn't left us in the dark with this. Um, let's look in Acts chapter 20. This is the primary text that I want to look at as kind of a purpose statement of these overseers. So turn to Acts chapter 20. By the way, Titus 1 is not the only text that gives us a list of qualifications for these overseers. Uh, Tim, 1 Timothy 3 also offers one. says mostly the same things in different ways. There's a couple of nuanced uh, things that are there as well. But in Acts chapter 20, now that we know like what an overseer elder is, now we know the importance of putting those in place in local churches... Um, now that we know that, like, what types of men those are, uh, we need to know why they're overseeing. Right? Like, why? Acts 20 shares this with us. Beginning in verse 25, Acts 20, 25. And now, behold, this is uh, Paul speaking to the elders, the uh, presbyteros, the older men that had been appointed as, Episteros, those overseers. 
he, that he had placed in Ephesus. He's speaking to them on his way to Jerusalem, and he says this beginning in verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, there's our word, overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, uh, you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, this isn't a, a much longer discourse with these elders, but I wanted to highlight this part because in this moment... We see very clearly God's direction in Paul for why overseers are even a thing, right? Like, why is that even an office? Why does it matter? Why do we care about who manages? Why do we even care that there are managers or overseers of, of the group? Well, we notice a few things in this text. God wants overseers uh, to view the church in verse 28 as a flock. We often uh, hear in in our religious discussions with our friends, even our own family. Maybe you've spoken like this, the term pastor, right? That's what a pastor is. It's a shepherd, someone who pastors a flock. So even biblically, the idea of a pastor is not so much someone who preaches, right? The idea of a pastor is the one who shepherds the flock, right? Which identify, is identified inherently to overseers. Overseers are the ones who view the church is a flock. Overseers are the ones who are pastoring, so to speak. And so God wants overseers to view the church as a flock. And in verses 29 and 30, you defend that flock, right? It's not so much that these men that have been appointed as elder overseers are just thinking of us as dumb sheep, right? That's not the point. You view the flock the way that you do so that you can identify threats to that flock. Right? If I think about you guys, I'm not saying I'm an elder overseer nor am I qualified, but I'm just saying if I think of you guys as a flock of sheep, then that gives me kind of a figure with which to reference false teaching, right? Well, if we're a bunch of sheep that we're following the great shepherd Jesus, John chapter 10, right? Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus identified that way then whoever's an elder overseer should be seeing anyone leading us away from Jesus as something like a wolf. Right? And that's what God is saying through Paul here to these elders, that you overseers need to think about your church like a flock. And when you do that, you need to see false teachers as wolves because they're taking you away from the great shepherd, Jesus. Right? That's kind of the implication of that statement. So we see that in verses 29 and 30. Verse 28 also, this is maybe a no-brainer, but because you're in this role, because you're overseeing the flock, right, it should be st stated that you need to care about that flock. Right? 
I think this is really important um, because for me, and maybe some of you guys identify with this, I can get a really business-like mentality of like a role I have to perform and I'm gonna do it to the checklist and I'm gonna do it well, but maybe some of the care gets lost. I'm just gonna do it. But it's really important that God relays through Paul here to these overseers that you need to actually care about the flock that you're, you're watching over. That's in verse 28. Another thing that's illustrated here is verse 31. Because you care about the flock, because there are false teacher wolves that are going to try to lead them astray, you need to be alert, right? That's, to me, maybe the reason most plainly that you oversee. You're alert. You're paying attention to the wolves, the false teachings that can hurt the sheep, right? So to me, what I gather from... Acts chapter 20, just this one text here. I know it's just one text, but this one to me seems like the clearest picture or clearest purpose statement of what it is to be an overseer. I think about the church that I've been appointed an overseer in, that local group as Paul went around to every city. I'm only an overseer in this one place. I view this group as a flock. And I'm going to do my best to protect this flock from the wolves that may come, the false teaching that may come to lead us away from the great shepherd. And I'm going to be alert and I'm going to care for these people. That is, I think, a biblical portrait of why you have overseers, why they exist. So 1 Peter 5 says a lot of the same stuff. If you want to turn there, uh, you can. I'm going to highlight just a couple things from this quickly. I don't plan to spend a lot of time on this. 1 Peter 5, I think, is a, a kind of a supplemental text to uh, Acts 20. We see a lot of the same things, ideas uh, laid out. But what we learn from 1 Peter 5, interestingly enough, is, man, you know, you think about Peter. Think about the great things Peter did in the time he spent with Jesus and some of the great work that he did. But what we learn in this chapter in verse 1 is apparently he's an elder overseer of a church wherever he is. Because he says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you... As a fellow elder, right? He's not saying I'm chief overseer among you. He's appealing to the authority as an evangelist, as an apostle. But he's saying, look, look, I've got experience in this. I'm an elder as well. And I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I'm a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So he tells them, shepherd the flock. There's our language again. That of God that is among you, right? You don't worry about other places. You worry about your flock. You exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, right? There's that care. Not because you have to, because it's your job, but because you want to, right? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, right, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A couple other things that we learn from this text is God wants overseers to do what God wants. I think that's maybe a plain thing. It almost kind of goes without saying, but Peter says it. Do it willingly as God wants you. Another lesson that we learn here is that uh, God wants overseers to lead not by dominating them, not by domineering, not by lording over them, but actually by example. That's a big difference, right? If you've ever had people that like 
force feed you a thing or like make you do something. It's a lot different than when you learn it because they're showing you. And even if sometimes they're showing you, not intentionally even, they're just showing you by being that way and you learn something. I don't think it's out of the realm biblically a possibility for the elders to teach you something intentionally, but the idea is that they're not hypocrites. They live out what they're leading you in. Right? So you, you lead the flock not under compulsion, but eagerly as God would have you. And you notice in verse 5, everybody in, as a Christian, everybody in the church is supposed to be humble and operate in humility toward one another. And you know what's interesting is he's actually speaking in the context of the, these elders. As a fellow elder... You're not exempt from that. You lead humbly, right? And you you know what God does for that? He will give you grace, right? He gives grace to the humble. And so elders that operate hum, uh, in humility. So we know the difference between maybe just an elder, but then also this added overseer office that an elder, an older person can be given if they meet the qualifications. We know now the purpose, at least on some level, of an eldership, and that is of an overseers to tend to the flock, to fight false doctrine. That's the primary battle there, to care for the sheep. So why so many qualifications? And I think at this point in the lesson, it should be obvious, at least more obvious. I think fundamentally it's because God loves his people. The church is a body of God's people. I think universally, like wherever there are God's people all over this earth, that's his church. But then also locally, like we are the church of God here in downtown Atlanta, right? And we see that it's God's design for us to have people that are watching out for us. Why would he want that? Why would he throw so many qualifications on that? Because God loves his people and he takes that seriously. You know, there's only one person that was qualified to be the great shepherd, and that was Jesus. He didn't give us a half-hearted attempt at a great shepherd. He gave us the real deal. And so those who are supposed to be mimicking that and helping us follow the great shepherd, God takes very seriously. And so he offers all of the qualifications he does in that. And so he wants... uh, Oh, sorry, the other point is, why so many qualifications? I think it's because Satan is out to destroy what God has accomplished. Um, That's reflected in the idea that wolves with false teaching come. Uh, You know, why, why do we want overseers? Why do they need to have so many qualifications? Well, because Satan has schemes. He has tricks. They come as wolves, but interestingly enough, the Bible also tells us in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus is speaking, the the false prophets that come as wolves often disguise themselves as sheep. So why do overseers need to be older? Why do they need to be proven? Why do they need to be good leaders and humble? And as Paul said in Acts 20, they knew the whole counsel of God. Why do they need all of those things? Well, so that they can see the schemes of the devil. Because the devil is trying to tear at God's people. Hopefully, uh, as we've talked about this, I would hope and pray that you already have a lot of this understanding. Because I think it's 
fundamental as a group of God's people to see this as being something we should desire. We should want people watching out for us. And in our churches, we should be like Titus, trying to point, appoint people to do that for us. But even if you don't understand that, I would hope that this lesson is something that maybe like spurs you towards studying this more and thinking about it more. Because part of what's revealed to us in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 4 in fact, is that... Uh, Oh, sorry, verse 5, is that we who are not elders, who are not older among us, need to be ready to submit to those that are elder among us, that are appointed to watch over us. I don't love the thought of that because of my personality. I like being independent. I like kind of the idea of me choosing where I'm going to do, where I'm going to go. And I know I'm not the only one in this room that feels that way. But I have to learn to want what God sees the church needing. And if I'm a Christian, I'm a part of the church. And if I live here in Atlanta, I'm a part of this church. And so I should desire that God put in place here overseers that can help me avoid the wolves of false teaching. And so I need to be ready to submit to that if we get to a place where that ever becomes a thing for us. Um, So I'd encourage you, even if you don't see yourself as being able to operate as an elder ever, or even soon, that you prepare your heart to submit to that if and when it is a thing that happens here. Uh, Because we need those people. We all appreciate someone watching over our shoulder for our best interest, and that's what overseers should be doing. So this is not maybe a a typical lesson that is geared towards our personal relationship with God, dealing with our sins, overcoming the temptations that we face from day to day. But what I do want to say about this lesson is that this is a part of that. God puts in place overseers and he desires that so that we can overcome temptation, so that we can know the truth, so that we can be faithful to the great shepherd. And so while I haven't spoken uh, specifically about sin, specifically about salvation, the great shepherd is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about that. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the reason he's the good shepherd in that text is because, one, he cares about the sheep. Because he lays down his life for the sheep. And at the end of that conversation, he talks about how he doesn't stay dead for the sheep. And so, obviously, if you're not a Christian this morning, I would encourage you, you got to follow the great shepherd. That's the beginning. But doing that allows you to be shepherded by ones God has already changed. And so I'd encourage us as a church here locally to be thinking about some of these things. But even if you're not from here, even if you're just traveling through, I hope that your church is exercising some of these things that we see in Scripture. And perhaps if you find yourself in a position to be an overseer, um, pray that God would use you in a way that is biblical and is helpful to your flock. Uh, I appreciate your attention this morning. If there's anyone here that needs the prayers of this group that would like to discuss some of these things, anything like that, just reach out to someone to your left, to your right, someone you're comfortable with, someone that you might trust to listen to you um, while we're singing this song so that we can um, do whatever it is we can for you. We'd ask that you think about that while we're singing and Richard leads us.